As has already been mentioned, it is good to see so many visitors here with us today. Family back for the holidays. We certainly are always glad to see you and glad that you are here to be with us uh, this morning for our worship service. You know, Christmas is a, for me, it's a wonderful time of the year. I love it. And I know that some people, uh, you know, worship or celebrate it as the birth of Christ. Uh, others choose not to do that because it, that we don't know in the Bible. It doesn't tell when, when his birth was. doesn't tell us necessarily to celebrate it. And some just celebrate it as an opportunity to be together as family and friends and, and exchange gifts and, and just have that, that time together and whatever. It's just seems like at this time of the year, there is more emphasis on peace and goodwill in the world around us. There seems to be a more emphasis on focusing on Jesus. And I remember Norman would always say, and that can't be a bad thing, right? Anytime our world is more thankful, anytime that our world is more considerate, of each other and more giving and maybe thinking about Jesus. It cannot be a good thing. In World War, huh? It cannot be a bad thing. Okay, yeah. Three of you were listening. That was a test. Christmas 1914, Europe was in the throes of what was then known as the Great War, would eventually be known as World War I. It was also known as the war that would end all wars. Well, we know that that was not true. And it was a very vicious, violent war. It was a lot of hand-to-hand, you know, combat. And a lot of it was done in the trenches, in the foxholes. And... At Christmas time in Belgium, the German army was on one side of what was called no man's land and the English army, British army was on the other side. And essentially what you was is you hoped that one of your enemies would pop his head out of the foxhole just enough so you could shoot him. And that's kind of how that war went for a long time. But on Christmas 1914, a improvised ceasefire occurred. And the British soldiers came out of their foxholes and the German soldiers came out of their foxholes and they met in the middle of what was no man's land, which would normally be the kill zone. And they shared what little food they may have had with one another. They tried to sing Christmas carols, whether they could do it in German or English, I don't know. And a game of soccer even broke out in the middle of all of that. And some of you may have seen, somebody took a picture. There's actually a a picture of that happening. All because of the idea of Christmas. The idea of the birth of our Savior. A reflection of what happened on that day. We all know the story, right? The census. The journey from Beth, Nazareth to Bethlehem, the no vacancy in the end, the manger, the shepherds, the magi. We get all of that from Matthew and Luke. Okay. Mark 
Doesn't even mention the birth at all. And you know, those of you that have been here know that I believe John's description of the birth goes something like this. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. On that morning 2000 plus years ago. It was truly a miracle. God came to earth as a human being. As a baby. In the flesh. It was the beginning. Of the end. Of God's plan. To redeem mankind. And reconcile man to himself. And redeem man from the grips of Satan. And sin. You see. God had been planning this. Since before the creation of the world. He had hinted at it all along in the Old Testament. And now with the birth of Jesus, the plan was beginning to take shape. The plan was beginning to come together. From the birth, we have the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we know we just celebrated that in the Lord's Supper. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of me. And I know in scripture, nowhere does he tell us to celebrate his birth. Nowhere do we see the fact that the early church celebrated his birth on such a particular day. But without the birth, there could be no life. Without the birth, there could be no death. And without the birth, there could be no resurrection. It truly was a miracle. Which brings us, and I know some of you were thinking, what a, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to tie it together. Which brings us to our study of 1 John. Because when we think about the birth, we have to think about God's love for us. And so we are in the gospel, or the letter we know is 1 John, and we remember those of us who have been here, that two of the four kind of themes that we saw in 1 John are number one, love, or well, the two we're going to talk about, love matters and confidence matters. And John touches on these in our passage this morning. We're going to begin in chapter 2 and verse 28, and we're going to read through chapter 3 and verse 3. In the middle of this, is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. So beginning in chapter 2 and verse 28, John writes, Now my dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Here's my verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what 
we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How great is the father's love that he has lavished on us. I was doing a little reading. And I found out that that where we have great in the NIV, and it may be something different in the King James, I'm not sure. But in the NIV where it says how great is the Father's love, that word great in Greek is one of those words that is very difficult to translate actually into English. It's a word that we don't necessarily have an exact equivalent for. I know that with Mark and Jude, you know, in Portuguese, sometimes Mark will say, well, there's this word in Portuguese, but I I really can't get the exact, you can't get the exact sense when I translate it into English. And that word that is great is like, is like shocking, awesome, unbelievable, unprecedented, indescribable. That is the love. That the Father has for us. And because of this great love from the Father. John tells us that what we are. And he tells us what we will be. And he tells us what we should be. So first of all he tells us in the most beautiful of words. That we are the children of God. I just love the way he says that. I'm going to read it again. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. Just let that sink in for a minute. That God loves you and you and you and you and you and every you in between. God loves you so much that he has called you his child. You are a child of God. That is a part of the confidence that John has been trying to instill in the readers and in us. We have been chosen by God. Galatians tells us that we have been adopted by God. And not because of anything that we have done. I've seen movies. You probably have two or TV shows or whatever. Maybe at an orphanage. I, I remember Annie. Remember or, Little Orphan Annie? You know, the, the, the TV show. Well, the movie, I guess, you know, or whatever. And remember how, you know, when... The, per, 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 whoa, I don't even know what that word was. Perspective. That's the word. Prospective adoptive parents would be coming to the orphanage. And remember how, you know, they were all trying to get gussied up and all look pretty and all have their manners and mind their P's and Q's so that hopefully they would be sweet enough and lovable enough that these parents who were coming in would take them because of how sweet they had been. That's not what happened with us and God. 
Romans chapter 5 tells us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. He didn't look at us and say, oh, aren't those just a wonderful, lovable group of people? They're so much better than all the others. I'm going to pick them. No. See, one of the things about the Old Testament is, is I think the Old Testament was written partly to try to help us understand what God has done for us. You see, that was the thing with Israel. You remember? Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was God's nation. And sometimes they would get a little uppity with God. And God would have to remind them, I chose you. Not because you were the smartest, not because you were the brightest, not because you were the biggest nation or the most wealthy nation or whatever. I chose you because I chose you, not because you deserved it. It was my choice. And that's the way God is with us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us, not because we fixed ourselves up and gussied ourselves up and put on our makeup and looked really pretty and we stood out there and God said, ooh, I like that one, I'll pick him. Or I'll pick her. God picked us when we were in the middle of the pigsty. When we were covered with sin and filth, God chose us to be his children. That is an awesome thought. Being his children includes a couple things. It includes an inheritance. Romans 8 and verse 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Well, that's what John just said, right? Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs, King James, co-heirs, NIV, with Christ. What? Can you really get your head around all of that? God has not only chosen us and adopted us to be his children, but he has made us joint heirs with Christ. Not secondary heirs. Not sub-heirs. You know, when you fill out a life insurance policy, you have to fill out who's the primary beneficiary. And then you list maybe a secondary beneficiary. This scripture tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. Whatever is his is ours. That just doesn't seem quite right, does it? We're a little, I don't know about you, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I'm a little uncomfortable even saying it, but I'm not saying it. That's where I I don't have to worry about it. You got an argument, take it up with Paul. Don't, Don't come to me. Paul said it. We are heirs of God, co heirs with Christ. Wow. That is amazing. All that is Christ is ours as well. 
Being a child of God also means that we have access. Over in Hebrews, remember when we were over there and it was talking about how that he had become like us. And one of the reasons he became like us is so that we could approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence in our time of need. Again, I think part of the Old Testament structure was to show that without Christ, the average ordinary person couldn't just go to God. You had to go through the priest. And even the priest couldn't just approach God in any ordinary way. But now through Christ, because we are brothers with him, as it says in Hebrews, we can approach the throne of God, the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. We're a little uncomfortable with that too, aren't we? You telling me that I can boldly and with confidence go to the throne of God. Again, don't argue with me. The writer of Hebrews said it, not me. And that's exactly what he said. I've told those of you that are members here have heard me tell, use this analogy. But my father was the president of Texas Utilities. And if you wanted to get in touch with him, it was not going to be easy. You were going to have to call the main Texas utility number. And you were going to ask, I'd like to speak with Mr. Gibbs. The first operator would probably ask you, why and who are you? If not, she's going to send you to his secretary. Who is certainly going to ask you who you are and why do you want to talk to him and if she doesn't think you're worth it (laughs) if she doesn't think you have a legitimate reason to speak with him she's going to pawn you off on somebody else I never had to do that because I had his direct line number I had the number that rang his phone directly I didn't have to go through the receptionist I didn't have to go through the secretary now if he had caller ID he might not have picked up but that's a whole other story but I had that access because of my relationship with my father I was his son. And I could call him directly. We are the children of God. And because we are the children of God, we have direct access to him. And we can approach his throne boldly and with confidence. Can you be humble and bold at the same time? I think so. I think so. Because while we do approach boldly and with confidence, we approach humbly as well. But boldly and with confidence. We are God's child through Christ because of the love that God has for us. Over in chapter 4, and we'll get over there more later on. But verse 10 says, this is love. You want to know what love is? This is love. 
Not that we loved God. Uh Uh-uh. Don't think of it as it's on me. Don't think you did something. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us and calls us his children. So that's what we are. Now in those verses, John also talked about what we were going to be. And he said we are going to be like him. He started off this section by saying that when Jesus comes, we should be confident and unashamed. When you think about Jesus' return, when you think about judgment day, what emotions are going through your mind? Are you scared to death? Are you petrified of the day of judgment? Are you sweating bullets thinking about the return of Jesus? John says, no, 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 no. You need to be confident and unashamed as you look toward the day that he is coming. And I thought about that. And I thought about that other verse in Hebrews that we looked at several times where it said that Jesus had to be made like his brothers was flesh and blood. And that because he was, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. You ever been ashamed of your family members? Your family members ever been ashamed of you? Well, we won't go there. But Jesus is not ashamed to call us siblings. To call us brothers and sisters. Therefore, we should not be ashamed and we should not be worried. But we should have confidence on the day that he is going to return. Now, John tells us that when he comes... We will be like him. I'm just going to confess. I ain't real sure what all that's about. I, 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 I got some ideas. I got some theories. But I have a feeling that what I'm thinking probably doesn't even touch the reality of it. I know that when he comes back, our mortal bodies are going to be raised immortal. And so in that sense, we are going to be like him. We are going to be raised from the dead, never to die. Living eternally with God the Father. And maybe that's what John is talking about. And I think that's part of it. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. That we will receive an immortal body. But I think there's more to it than that. I'm not sure what it is. But I think there is more to it than that. I know we're going to be co-heirs with him, right? We've already talked about that. I, I, I was thinking this morning. That if maybe there's not some way in which it's a reverse incarnation. Hang with me a minute. 
The incarnation is when God became flesh, right? And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became like us and dwelt among us. John says when he comes, we will be made like him and we will dwell with him. Does that make sense? Now, I don't know what all the being made like him means. But I think that that's pretty cool. You know, it's one thing for Jesus to come and dwell among us. And I don't mean this lightly, to, to, to pay us a visit. In the grand scheme of eternity, 30 plus years, not really a long time, right? But Jesus came and he dwelt among us. He paid us a visit. And then he went home. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you're going to be also. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to be with me. So that where I am, you may be also. Now, some of you have dealt with maybe older relatives, parents, or maybe children who, for whatever reason, because of life situations, had to stay with you a little while. And that's okay. But there's a whole difference in staying a little while and moving in, right? Moving in. Jesus said, where I am going, I am coming back to take you so you may be with me. Not visit for a little while. Not, you know, sightsee and then I'm sending you on your way. But you will be with me forever. Forever. We're going to be with him. And going to be like him. Because we are the children of God. The third thing he tells us is what we should be. And he said we should be pure. That last verse says everyone who has this hope. In him purifies himself just as he is pure. Because of the love that God has lavished on us. Because we are children of God. Because we will be made like him. We should live accordingly here. In verse 29 in chapter 2 he says. Those that are righteous do what is right. And then chapter 3 verse 3 says that we purify ourselves just as he is pure. Yes, we will be like him when he comes. But there is a real sense in which we should become more like him every day. Here and now. We can't just live our lives any way we want to and then have hope and confidence. That when he comes back, we're going to be made like him. No, no, no. John said, no, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. We become more like him now. 
We purify ourselves by living rightly, by doing what is right, by being better. Not, we're not, we're, we talked about this in the uh, junior and high school class Wednesday. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, be ye perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. Over in the Old Testament, then it's quoted many times in the New Testament. God told the children of Israel, be holy even as I am holy. And here in 1 John, John says, we purify ourselves as he is pure. Now, we understand we're never going to reach perfection, but we ought to be closer every day, right? I ought to be a better person because of my relationship with God. I ought to be a better person today than I was yesterday. I certainly ought to be better now than I was 30 years ago. I can't continue living my life any way I want to live my life. Because of the love that God has lavished on us. God's love for us, his gift of salvation, is not an excuse to live like we want to. You see, that was the false teachers, right? That John was addressing. They had the idea that because of the relationship that I have with God, because I am in fellowship with God, that I can live any way I want to. I'm covered. I got a permanent get out of jail free card or something, you know? No. John says, no. Because of the love that God has showed for us, we will become more holy. We will become purer. We will become closer to perfect than we were. This is, as I said, is in direct conflict with the false teachers who said how we live doesn't matter. John says, oh yes, it does. True children of God will turn their lives over to him and live our lives in purity and holiness. I think the reason I like that verse so much is because it uses the word lavished. How many of you used the word lavish this week? Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't know that outside of the context of this verse that I've used the word lavished. But I love it. Doesn't it just have the idea of overabundance? Going back to that verse in Ephesians, you know, God can do more than we can ask or imagine. He can lavish it upon us. You know, I suppose at Christmas, some parents, none in here, I'm sure, maybe some grandparents, go a little overboard and lavish their children. But John tells us that God has lavished his love for us that we can be called his children his birth his life his death and resurrection are something that we should celebrate every single day as God's children we don't need a special day 
Stuff today is fine. But we don't need it. Because of the love that God has lavished on us. And because we recognize what God has done for us. And because we have been called children of God. And that is what you are. That is what I am. If we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, his son. If we have repented of our sins, been buried with him in baptism. If we continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. And we share in his inheritance. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.